Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of The New Standard. You're checking out The New Standard on November 2nd, 2022. Man, that's a lot of twos. As those twos were rolling around in my head, I was like, man, let me get that date out correctly. But anyway, want to welcome everybody to the show. Thanks for hopping on and joining. Fantastic. And I have my partner in crime to my left, Neil Kulong. What's up, Big Neil? You know, Lance, um, I'm I'm reeling after the day yesterday. Pretty active. The most uh, the most active and involved day in the New Standard podcast history. I want to thank uh, Doug Farrar for hopping on with me. If you guys want to check that out, that's on our YouTube page. Everywhere else that you can get a podcast, it's going to be there. Just search for the New Standard or Neil Kulong or Lance Williams. Uh, two great shows. Two uh, two great opportunities to discuss a lot of of uh, the really interesting, fun machinations of the league. I, I love the off-the-field stuff. That's just me. <laughs> I do, too. Sometimes I find it a little more interesting, especially when your team is 2-6 and six and that averaging that 14 <laughs> points a game. Uh, it, it does lend itself to a better discussion. Along with everything that Neil said, you can check us out on YouTube right now live. You can go to YouTube, do a search for The New Standard and Lance Williams or Neil Kulong. Also, you can do the same search by the same thing, Lance Williams, The New Standard, Neil Kulong, The New Standard on any podcast feeder. I'm not going to name them because I don't really say them correctly. You guys know how to find a podcast. Just do a search for hours and you will find it. I thought you did a fantastic job yesterday. I thought the shows were highly entertaining and highly informative. And and I don't want to go back down that line. I'm going to quickly say that if you could flip Chase Claypool for a second round pick, I mean, hell, I don't care where it comes in the second round. I mean, that's just excellent compensation. If you could trade the guy for the draft round that you you drafted him in, I mean, that doesn't happen often. So he's still, whether you think he was a good player or not, he has the physical traits to be intriguing to most people. He's sort of like that young lady or guy that you date that's very attractive, that has bad breath. You can tell people they have bad breath. You can say, man, he's got bad breath. She's got bad breath. But from a distance, you can't tell if they have bad breath. They're just good looking. And that's what Chase Claypool is. I'm sure the Bears will discover what Chase Claypool is when they get really up close. Let me ask you this perspective, Neil, in in terms of Chase Claypool and that trade. We often throw out the term bust in sports and for draft picks, particularly in a National Football League. I don't, is it fair to say Chase Claypool was a bust? He's a failed draft pick for the Steelers. Uh, no, certainly not. If you you want to set the bar uh, to cover all Steelers draft picks, I and mean, he did a lot better than most of them did. Um, you can't say he's a bust. It, it, it's answering that question it requires you to set what a standard would be, and then measure uh, how far above or below that they are. I, I felt with Claypool, um, more than anything, what he showed is why a guy who's 6'5", 230, runs like a deer and has athleticism for days, is not a a dominant player game to game. And it's mostly because he's just simply not a good receiver. He's not technically uh, very fluid. He's not very sound. 
Um, he is the best way to put it. I, I've said this a couple times. The height, weight, speed guys, HWS guys, they're scouts' dreams. Coaches love to see the raw talent that he might have. Claypool never developed more to his game than what he has right now. Um, look at Deontay Johnson, for example, who was not blessed with half of the, the physical gifts that Claypool has. Johnson has improved considerably from where he was. He put the work in. He turned himself into a good NFL player. Now, I'm not going to get into the specifics of where Deontay Johnson rests as far as the rest of the league goes. He is much better today than he was as a rookie. And his his paycheck now reflects that. Claypool is not going to get that much. Well, I, I can't even say this anymore because I said up and down on this show, there's no way the Steelers would get better than a late three uh, for Claypool at the deadline. Um, obviously that didn't work out, but Johnson got Johnson put himself in a position to have that kind of leverage. Claypool still has to earn it. And if you look at them physically for where they started, that absolutely should not have been the case. It should have been the other way around. Uh, to me, that's on Claypool. Um, I said this at the beginning of his second year, he really looks like the same player he was when he was a rookie and your, your year one to year two development is going to be the key to your long-term success in the NFL. Claypool, in, in, in my opinion, it just does, it didn't look like Claypool put the work in that he needed to to become a much better football player. And right now, he's really just not all that good of a football player. He's an HWS guy. He's big. He's fast. I get the spider graph, the Calvin Johnson garbage comparisons and all that. That's what he's going to, to make money on. And people are going to continue to buy into the potential that he has. But he's not a good football player, and nobody objectively could say that he is right now. Well, that that sounds like if it quacks like a duck, looks like a duck, then it might as well be a duck in terms of duck or a, a zebra or one of the two. I don't know. <laughs> that's about as close to busting out as you can get. But I see what you're saying in terms of you know, record bust. I mean, it's not going to be anything that someone – he, he was on the field. You know, you want to talk yes. about a bust. It, it's it, a true bust in my mind would be like on one hand, Senquez Golson comes to mind and you yes. call that a bust, unfortunately, because the guy literally could not stay on the field. I think he only practiced three times with the Steelers in the, did he make it to a third year? I forget if he got into the third year or not, but that's more of a bust. He didn't provide anything. Claypool provided something. He, what I'm talking about refers to, uh, the fact that he didn't even come close to reaching what you'd think his potential would be. Right. If he put the work right. into becoming better, uh, he would be a much more dangerous player than he's shown to be. Steelers freak said it best. He's a Corvette with a Fiat engine. And I'm just impressed that the 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 word or the term Fiat was used on this show. I bet most people listening at a certain age demographic have no idea what a fiat is or has ever seen one. They're just taking the reference from a Steelers freak statement and assuming that a fiat is a car. Yes, a fiat is a car. My dad had a fiat in the seventies. <laughs> he was very cool. Top down court, top down convertible fiat. Yes. I, yes. I rode in the fiat before when I was a little tyke on the North side. But let me ask you this before we flip to the William Jackson, the third trade. And that's the trade that I'm really intrigued by. 
when a player like Claypool, who who who's a, a HWS guy, I said it right, right? Hate height, weight, HWS, speed. Guy? Yes, height, weight, speed. When a guy like Claypool, when you see a guy that has those physical traits, as opposed to a Deontay Johnson, I mean, how much do you put it on the player for the lack of the development? How much do you put it on the the situation that he's in? How much do you put it on a coaching staff? I know it's hard to say not being around and, and watching the player practice every day, but 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 how much of it? I mean, where do you where do you assign most of the blame when a person that has that type of physical characteristics kind of washes out? Um, what you're going to hear overall is it's going to be on the player, and some of that is going to come from the idea that they're professionals, they're getting paid. Coaches don't get to work with them in the offseason. You usually hear it from coaches, from front office people. Uh, There's a lot that's on them anyway. They are not going to want to actively take a role in developing somebody who didn't develop. At the same time, to go back to it, you see a lot of players, and the social media age gives you the ability to do this. They're they're posting their workouts. They're showing you what they're doing. They do that consistently. They're putting in five, six, seven, eight hours of work a day uh, on their game in the offseason. Now, if we don't see that, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But you can tell when a guy shows up, especially a receiver, just because receivers operate in space. Uh, the camera during games can is trained on them as much as it is anybody else. You can see what they're doing, obviously, when they're on the screen. If, if The inside stuff, how they're getting off the line, how they're catching the ball, how they're running after the catch. You can see if a receiver has improved physically. Um, if he's not doing that, then it makes you wonder whether they're developing or not. At that point, the coach is not going to come out and say, no, he sucks. We, well, it happens every now and again, but... By and large, they're not going to take responsibility if the guy hasn't improved because the bulk of it really is on the player. Um, Coaches are there to coach them up to play the game, not to have 12-year-long careers. All right, there's a difference. Long-term, their ability is going to merit a contract. Their potential will merit a contract. The coach, though, is there to provide, to, to give the players what they need to be successful within the next game they're going to play or in training camp to know uh, what they're going to do that season. That is where they're developing. And yes, they can take a guy aside and talk to him. Some coaches do a much better job of that from, from what you hear. Um, Daryl Drake was excellent in that regard. Richard Mann was excellent in that regard. You you saw a lot of of great Steelers receivers from the kind of almost, you know, fatherly mentor type of coaching that they were getting. Um, Claypool though, and this, this happens to a lot. I mean, it's not easy to be Antonio Brown. You you have to put in an ungodly amount of work to be able to do that. Uh, Richard Mann was not living with Antonio Brown and working him out every day. So no, it's not on him per se, but the the player has to have by far the the most investment in it, but the coaches certainly are there as well to, to coach him up, to show him what they need to do. Um, the bulk of it, though, is on the player to, to get better. So it, for me, you're, you're putting it on. Um, you're putting it on Claypool top to bottom. We'll see what he does in Chicago. Maybe he has a better environment. Maybe he does do better there. Uh, what we saw of him in Pittsburgh, though, was a guy that really just didn't develop. He's, he's more or less the same player that he was. And I think that's on him. That's far more than it is on on the Steelers coaching staff. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, the combination of uh 
Fields and Claypool. I mean, I could see second reaction stuff, you know, doing that type stuff, go routes. But it's going to be interesting because Justin Fields is a, a very much raw developing player. Uh, I mean, you bring in a HWS guy who's raw and developing as well. So it'll be interesting to see how it pairs up. But, uh, you know, I want to thank Chase Claypool for his service with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He made some plays at some time and, you know, hopefully his future with the Chicago Bears will be fortuitous. Were you impressed by that one? Th- that one's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. See, it's it's, it's close. See, that, uh, I messed that one up, too. What did you say? Fortuitous? Yes. I think you're you're trying to rhyme gratuitous, which wouldn't fit in this case. But, yeah, I'm going to look it up. Okay. All right. So while Neil looks it up, you know, it, it, we should have a, a segment called fortuitous. That's it. Okay. Not fortuitous. fortuitous. Yes. That, yes. That's see, the word I was looking forward to. I, see, I, I, I was it. close. We should have a segment called Lance's vocabulary flub closes. That would be great. <laughs> but anyway, uh want to give a big shout out to Felicia. And, and Felicia pointed out something that we pointed out when we were doing the draft shows and, and pick up to Felicia. Uh, Chase announced his replacement in George Pickens. We 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 definitely realized that irony. It is so cold. The National Football League is so cold. He announced his replacement at the draft. I mean, that was <laughs> we we got a big kick out of that. And it, it's you know, I, I totally forgot about that. I wish I had that moment back. Um, I clipped that somewhere. Where did I keep that? But what it, it, I said it at the time just because I didn't think there was a way in the world George Pickens was going to fall the, the lengths that he did. George Pickens is the opposite of Claypool in the sense that this is a guy who absolutely should not have been drafted in the second round, but because he's way too good. Claypool was a potential guy. That's why he got drafted in the second round. He didn't ever really show to be all that good of a receiver. Uh, Pickens though, he got hurt. There was, you know, they have a problem with him getting into a trash talking battle and, you know, a, 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 an overly judicious official kicks him out of the game for it and junk. I don't really care about that. That's not a character concern. He's a, a he's a fiery guy. He's an emotional guy. He has an extraordinary amount of talent. And while he's smaller than Claypool is, he's already twice the receiver that Claypool is, which is why they move Claypool inside and put Pickens on the outside. From day one, keep that in mind. They knew <laughs> right away. They they had the goods with Pickens. Uh, for Claypool, though, to have announced that, and I joked before the draft, what if Claypool, you know, they draft a receiver at a spot that they often draft receivers. Um, Claypool announcing that's going to be a little bit awkward. And then it was Pickens. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is just too good. Not only is this absolutely the best player they could have drafted at that spot, it's the guy he is literally replacing who's announcing it. Because Claypool, I mean, nope, <laughs> you're not I mean, half the player he is. I mean, it, it, it was the classic moment where you introduce your girlfriend to your girlfriend. I mean, it's just. Yeah, it's really I mean, it I mean, it was absolutely classic. And I've seen, I've seen someone do that in real life. And I absolutely laughed. It was just because the people involved didn't know what was going on at the time. But that's neither here nor there. Do not want to mention the parties involved. Let's flip the script and let's talk about the second big transaction, William Jackson III. If you didn't listen to Neil's breakdown of the transaction and of the trade and and Neil's thoughts, Neil, briefly, give me your thoughts on uh, William Jackson III and, and, and this whole marriage to 
cover one, cover three, and playing a lot of two man. Yeah, the, the the main thing here is let let's start with this. The Steelers play more cover one than any team in the league. And the overwhelming majority of their coverage is cover one. When you have Minka Fitzpatrick, you have a deep center field safety. Cover one is a pretty good option. But usually what that means is you're playing man on the outside for vertical routes. Okay. What that means is if you, two receivers on either side of the line, the outside cornerbacks who are going to be covering them are playing man most often they're they're in man until that receiver breaks somewhere else depending on what the the coverage call is so if both of those receivers run fly routes outside the numbers against a cover one defense those cornerbacks are in man the entire way that coverage is incredibly important when you face aj brown for example or uh whoever on buffalo these coverages require a, a very strong man cover cornerback and the Steelers don't have that at the same time, William Jackson who played under Terrell Austin in Cincinnati, they played a defense very similar to that. He had a lot of man responsibility and he was, I'm not exaggerating on this. He was legitimately one of the best cornerbacks in football when he was in Cincinnati uh, in man. It's a great man cornerback and that got him paid. He signed with Washington who for reasons that nobody will understand, never played him in man. And at the same time, adding into that, William Jackson's not a very good zone cornerback. He even admits it. He's, he's on the record as saying, I need to play man. That's what I do. That's my game. I'm not a zone guy. His zone numbers are terrible. He's not a very good zone quarterback. In the defense the Steelers are playing, though, they're going to have him playing in man. That's going to make Minka better because he can cheat a little bit away because Jackson can, can carry a guy 30 yards down the field. Witherspoon can't do that. Wallace can't do that. Sutton can't do that. We've seen it time and time again, and it's happening more and more this year. Jackson fills a massive need for the Steelers, and he is a, the most attainable, perfect guy that they could bring in for this. I can't tell you how important this decision is to the point where I, I talked about this with a couple people. I'm not going to put this it, as far as the impact uh, let me rephrase that. I'm not saying that William Jackson is as talented as Minka Fitzpatrick because he's not, but the impact that he's going to make in terms of fit, in terms of uh, raising the floor of what their defense is right now, just through the replacement factor, it, this move is on that level. It, it, it is. He's going to be able to take care of deep, uh, uh, you know, big play receivers on the outside. If they, uh, whether they'll match him up, I don't know. But he's going to lock a guy down in man on that outside half. And that gives Minka more of a chance to be more places than one. Minka's getting beat like a drum on deep routes. And Philadelphia saw that, which is why they connected on a bunch of big plays. They can get him uh, having to guess in ping pong back and forth on either side because it, receivers on either side of the line right now are getting deep on the Steelers cornerbacks in man. So Jackson is able to close that gap considerably. And that's one less thing that Minka needs to worry about to a, a great deal. He can go back to making plays in shorter yards places. It, it's, it's a significant addition for the Steelers. And the fact that they're trading, they're swapping a sixth and a seventh round pick in 2025. And like I said on the show yesterday, the, the commander's front office isn't even going to be employed there in 2025. So clearly this is a move that it, it doesn't matter. It's like, just take him. You know, we got to put something on the books to show that we did something 
okay, well, we'll swap sixth and seventh with you. Those picks might be like within seven spots of each other when it's all said and done. So this is like basically a, a free agent signing for the Steelers on a very cheap cost for the rest of the way this season and the rights to take him next year and get him an extension. Because again, he's a perfect fit for this defense and they absolutely will. They need a cornerback now and they're really going to need more than one cornerback next year. It, 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 it's a huge benefit to them in the future. Before we jump into the meat and gravy of the impact of this during the bye week, I want you guys to go back to Neil's show with Doug yesterday to get into what the cornerback rotation will be, kind of might, you know, what they, who's going to be the odd man out. They break that down and they do a great job. I want to take it to on a little different of a direction. Before that, I got to go on a quick tangent real quick. Neil, did you see this? Mel said he used to run a 4-3 back in the late 80s and early 90s. I need some footage, what they, man. What were they timing you with, Mel? What, and did, did they I, did they give you a two second head start? You didn't run a four three. Don't Mel said don't. he. I, I need some footage. Mel, most annoying level of athlete nowadays because back in the day it was everybody. Well, it, it was super fast. Well, I ran a four five. Mel, I, we need footage. Mel, we need footage. Mel, we don't know you, Mel. I've never seen you. I've never spoken to you. You didn't run a four three, Mel. Mel, come on now, Dion Mel. Hey, Mel, I'm gonna say. I, I, I'm gonna say four six. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a four six, and that the guy looked at the watch and looked back. Four six. I'm gonna go four six, man. But we believe you, baby. I just want to see the footage. I had to go on that quick tangent because, man, I, I feel honored. Um, uh, if if we had somebody on the show that could run a four three. Five seven one seventy five. I could fly. Yes, you could fly with a jetpack and some wings, Mel. Come on now, four three four six, baby, four six. But let's switch reels and big up to Mel. Mel's a fantastic listener in the program. Big up to my brother Mel, member of QSI Five Fraternity Incorporated. Big up to you, brother, and the Q Dogs. Big Mel, but Neil, we got a bye week going on right now, and. They just acquire William Jackson III. What are the coaches doing in, in terms of getting him prepared, working him into their packages? What, what are they doing from a, a coaching perspective in general for him? And what are the coaches doing in general in this time uh, during the bye week? I mean, kind of break down the, the process there. The bye week is for the players, not the coaches. So they will do uh, walkthroughs with the team, um, not against a, a, a hypothetical opponent. In other words, they're not going to put guys out in the, the defense that the next opponent is playing. They're really just going over the things that they do, their base operational stuff. Um, they they want to work through that, get things worked out, uh, give them some time with the trainers, probably do some conditioning. Um, but for the most part, it, they're, they're working to keep active and then the players will be gone for three, four days, something like that. The coaches are working the entire time to evaluate internally to see who they have doing what. And they're they're really launching into future prep, which would include uh, draft stuff, 
um, strategy review of what they're doing. Does this work? Does this not work? Coming up with things um, to, to answer questions that are coming up and need to be answered uh, specifically for their next game, next four games, as well as what they're looking at in the offseason. They have enough tape to review. They're going to go over all of that as well. Really, you know, hone in on who needs to do what, what they need to do with what player. It, there's a lot of review work that they'll do when the players aren't in the building and when they're not not preparing for a game. In the situation of William Jackson, I'm sure they gave him the playbook. I'm sure they're sitting down with him. I'm sure uh, if, if he wants to be successful, he's probably in Minka's ear right now. They're probably, you know, communicating as much as they can. Jackson's probably watching film, getting caught up to speed with uh, everything that he needs he to learn. Pittsburgh? You, you think he's at the facility doing this work? Um, that it, I don't want to say that he is just because you can do so much of this stuff visual, uh, uh, digitally. Um, I, I, I don't know whether he is or not. I think he probably should be. They had practice. Um, it might not have had. I don't think the deal was executed before practice. So right. I, if he's probably coming in like today or something. Uh, whether he'll stay there and and you know use the team facilities to do stuff, uh, keep in mind he's been very well paid for the last two years, so he probably has the resources to do that stuff on his own. It's not like it's a requirement that he stays there or anything. Um, I I don't know. It's up to him to, uh, how he wants to do things. I have no idea what for for instance Minka's plans are anyway. So uh, I I don't know if they're getting together. I'm just sure that they're having conversations. Minka is the captain of of that secondary. He needs to to help Jackson come along with who's doing what and what they're calling, what he's seeing, what he changes into. A lot of terminology work, I'm sure. You need to know, hey, I'm making this stuff up now. You need to know that eagle flex means this and, you know, base means that. Just getting in the flow of how the Steelers do business and uh, getting used to the role that he's going to play. I'm sure that they have had conversations um, at, at the top level, as far as his contract, down to uh, Tomlin specifically with scheme, Austin more specifically with what his role is within that scheme. All of that comes together uh, probably very quickly. It's hard for, for players to get caught up that fast. That's another huge benefit here is the fact that the Steelers got, I, I think we even talked about this at one point, and I, I should have brought this up during the show yesterday. Tremendous advantage to have the trade deadline fall right before your bye week tremendous yeah, advantage yeah that will be huge as far as being able to get jackson on the field without missing a game they don't need to bench him i mean there were trades that went down thursday before their game they weren't going to get that guy on the field roquan smith could have helped baltimore last week would have been great for them he's going to have to play this week on on a lot less prep than what he would normally have they'll use him in whatever situation but you kind of lose a game with that the steelers don't it's right. a huge benefit to them uh, especially with a player that, that's going to play i honestly i don't i don't see why um given both the issues uh that the steelers have had structurally among their cornerbacks and the fact that literally all of them have been hurt um that this this helps solidify that depth that they really need and we did talk about that a lot this offseason, Lance. It, it's it's the fact that when you have a, a deeper secondary, you can come up with more packages. Right. There are more things that you can do. So in reality, and this is, you know, we'll, we'll get into the betting line here. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be, but Steelers at home coming off of a bye week. And not only have you just greatly bolstered your schematic secondary, you're getting TJ Watt back. So to be honest, this is a very, very winnable game for the Steelers uh, coming up against New Orleans. We'll, we'll break that down when we get to it, but that's what they're building to now. And a very positive move, a, a very beneficial move. 
and one that I, I didn't see coming just because I didn't think they'd take on his contract. They usually don't do that kind of thing. Um, it, very, uh, it, very astute and smart move uh, to, to the same level as that's why they went and got Minka. It's because Minka was a perfect fit for what they wanted to do defensively. I think William Jackson is one of five perfectly crafted corners for what they do. I think he's going to provide uh, that kind of impact. He might not, not Minka impact, but you're going to see right away how much better their secondary is. Let's flip that on, on the opposite side of the football. There's a good question by Marcus J. Who's going to be the third wide out? And that's the question that I'm sure everybody in Steeler Nation is asking when you move on from Chase Claypool. During this bye week, what are the Steelers' offensive coaches doing in terms of how they may want to deploy 11 personnel, 12 personnel? What are they doing this week with the loss of Claypool in terms of how they want to structure their offense moving forward? Uh, they're they're updating their resumes, to be honest with you. Um, here's on it. Honestly, um, here's the thing. Everyone in this show that, that has listened to the show knows how I feel about Chase Claypool, the, the player. Um, either way, the fact that he is on the field, 90% of the snaps that they take coming out of the slot by and large, that's a significant loss. And they really don't have an ideal replacement for that. This trade was not made because they wanted to get rid of Chase Claypool. This trade was made because there was a team so desperate to acquire him. They paid, honestly, 100% over his reasonable value for him at, at the trade deadline. I said, leading into the trade deadline, Claypool is really the only trade piece the Steelers have. For them to trade a starter on the worst offense in football, Without a reasonable replacement, they're going to need to be blown away by an offer. I would have told you blown away by an offer would have been like a, a, a third round pick from the Texans. Okay. A second round pick from the Bears is it, that's a dream come true for Omar Khan. It doesn't matter that the fact that this is going to really hurt their offense, it doesn't matter. You have to take that deal. Uh, Claypool is not your long term guy. You took his replacement in March. And that became apparent right away when, you know, Pickens is starting on the outside and Claypool, who's a terrible uh, uh, slot receiver for, for his makeup, for what he should be, should not be playing in the slot. And that that's good for him to go somewhere where he doesn't have to play in the slot, but you got stuck when you took Pickens. So Claypool clearly is expendable to the Steelers. He is also though, indispensable to what they're trying to do right now, because who the hell is going to play in the slot now? What have you got? Gunnar Olszewski? I'm not exactly inspired by that. You've got Gunner. what Miles Boykin. Miles Boykin's worse than Chase Claypool. He's otherwise the same guy. I don't. That's not going to work. Uh, your third option, Stephen Sims, the guy that hasn't been able to catch on consistently with any NFL team in the what three years he's been in the league. So I, I don't know what their options are as far as eleven goes, Lance. The three it's receiver sets <clears throat> or Mel. I was addressing you just in the conversation. I think uh, to, to some degree, I'd be willing to bet that they'd be uh, interested in trying Friermuth out uh, split like that. Uh, they do that with four receiver sets with him as it is more of a, a heavy formation out of 11. Um, did I say Steven Stills, by the way? Because I keep doing that. Not no, you said Sims. Steven you Sims. might have said Stills. Right. Steel. Was it Crosby, Stills, and Nash? <laughs> Was it Crosby, it's, 
just it, it's a running joke because Stephen Stills is like the the add-on nobody of that group, and it makes me feel really old, and I don't want to talk about it. the The point being here, I they don't have uh, a, a a player that they wanted to play in the slot right now. They're going to tell you up and down. They have all the confidence in the world of whoever it's going to be. No, it's not. It, clearly, it's not true. You would have found ways to get Claypool on the field with one of these guys more often. But Claypool was almost entirely out of the slot, so you you don't have a great option there. But at the same time, you absolutely have to make that trade. You know, if they're offering you that, you have to make that trade. So they're gonna have to figure it out. And at the same time, I don't know if that's a bad thing. And here's why: they score 15 points a game. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're terrible 11, anyway. It's Eleven a game with Pickett. Yeah. Claypool being there doesn't make them – Claypool being there has not added a whole lot of offensive dynamics to, to what they're doing. Claypool not being there on paper suggests that there's a problem, and I agree that's not an easy thing to, to just work around because of his utilization rate, the fact that he's on the field as much as he is. You have to get somebody uh, who wasn't good enough to beat Claypool out for a position that Claypool has never played. And Claypool is far from the smartest receiver in the league. I can promise you that. So what they're going to do, um, it, it's it's going to be difficult, I think, in a lot of ways, uh, as far as the original question that I bypassed like five minutes ago, and I'm sorry. Uh, the, the bye week can be spent figuring out really the whole thing anyway. I don't think there's not much of a point in trying to figure out Claypool specifically. Nothing works anyway. You've got to tear the whole thing down if you're able to do that. The, the Claypool thing is a jockey on top of the horse. I mean, it, it's it's not adding much. It, it's a problem, yes, but you got all kinds of problems. <laughs> you know, join the club. Get in line. It, it What they're going to do offensively, I, I don't know. I don't know what they can do. And in that regard, through the old way, um, the, the Claypool absence is going to be noticeable. I think it's going to they're they're going to have kind of a rough go of things. They're just going to have to get better at the things that they're really trying to do, which is run the ball. They're trying to get their quarterback to make better decisions. They're trying. They really should be trying to incorporate more uh, combination routes off their receivers. Try to set each other up a little bit more. Use a little bit more of the field. Um, they're going to have to find solutions to all of these things. And the bye week isn't long enough to do it. I mean, it, that that's just the way it is. Um, if they're not removing their offensive coordinator, and we can't say right now that they're definitely not, but it, you think that would have happened a little bit earlier in the week, maybe. Um, maybe that comes today. I'm not exactly sure. But if they're not making any of those moves, uh, if they're not going to change anything, uh, they're going to have to find a way to get a lot better at the things that they are doing uh, because they're they're horrible. They're the worst offense in the NFL. And I love what you said about the impact of William Jackson III. Let me give you, and I think this is from an article that I saw in The Athletic about hopefully the impact of William Jackson III on this defense is too many big plays. It says the Steelers' defense has allowed 43 plays of 20 yards or more. No team in the league has given up more such plays. That includes 36 passes, which is tied for the most in the league. And that is because of the cover one problem that they have with their cornerbacks. That's exactly why they're bringing William Jackson in. And he is good in in Sunday's game, the Steelers allowed 15 plays of 10 yards or more and seven all passes of 20 yards or more. Couple that with the other points you made about the return of T.J. Watt. And it also says since Watt left the lineup, the Steelers have recorded eight sacks. That's tied with the Falcons for last 
in the National Football League. And according to Pro Football Focus, the Steelers have pressured the quarterback on 25% of dropbacks, which is 28th. So they're going to get a steady, they're going to get a great in, in injection uh, into their defense because that's the way that Tomlin wants to scratch out and, and try to win football games. But I think that's a good segue into the title of the show, In Tomlin, Do I Trust? And, and I wanted to frame it around, I think when you see the Claypool move and you see the William Jackson the third move, the, the Steelers are treading. They're sexy tanking. They're in a rebuild. And, 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 and thanks to Neil for reframing the phrase. This question is all around, do I trust, do you trust, Steeler Nation, that Mike Tomlin is the chef? Can he be Chef Tomlin? Is he the guy to, to rebuild this thing? Do you trust that he's the guy to rebuild this thing? And let me give you four reasons why I have significant reservations on whether Tomlin is the guy that could cook this meal. Number one, Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> Neil, let me ask you a couple of questions. Jeez. Neil. Just going right there. Neil, are you a scout? I'm not. Are you an NFL coach? No. Have you ever been an NFL coach? No. Are you an NFL GM? No, you should see the car I drive. Uh, have you been officially paid as an NFL scout? No. What did you say when the Steelers signed Mitch Trubisky? He'd be lucky to make it for half the season, and his numbers are going to be almost identical to what they've been throughout his whole career. Did we do a show where we very astutely, yes, I'm popping my collar, <laughs> point out that uh, Mitch Trubisky is essentially quarterback 37? Probably maybe quarterback 42 in the National Football League. <laughs> meaning this season, he's probably 42, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I had him at 36 prior. He's probably 42. With all that said, you know, I, I – um, and, and wait, and wait, Israelite acquiring knowledge. I'm getting there. I'm getting there, IAK. Don't worry. I'm getting there. To your point about Canada – that, that gives me significant pause that they thought Mitch Trubisky was a viable option. Now, it's easy for me with my, new, with my new glasses where I can say I have perfect 2020 vision on it. It's easy for me to say. But come on, man. Come on, man. Mitch Trubisky, come, come, come on, man. Here's my second thing. In terms of why I'm, I don't know if Tomlin's the dude to chef this, and I love Mike Tomlin, and 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 and, and um, you know, and, and I love Mike Tomlin. I think Mike Tomlin's a solid coach. I just don't know if he's the guy for the rebuild. Matt Canada, like Neil, we are know you, he's not the guy for the rebuild. Neil, are you an NFL GM? I am not. Still Neil, driving that are, shitty car. Are you an NFL scout? No. Thank God. Neil, are you 
have you been paid to uh, be in the war room uh, for an NFL draft? Have you ever hired an NFL executive? No. Uh, well, sort of, but that's not on the point you're making. I had a couple of them write for me in the past, but they certainly weren't in charge of personnel or anything. Okay. But you're essentially saying no. Neil, didn't you have a good idea that Matt Canada was going to be ass? Has Matt Canada been really good at being an OC anywhere? Like somehow, I was Matt Canada... Well, it's it, the, the the answer you're looking for is no. It's just being a good offensive coordinator is not necessarily tied to the, the specific results. In other words, the best offensive coordinator is not necessarily the guy who runs the highest scoring offense in the game. There, there are billions of factors that go into that. Is Matt successful? Is Matt Canada currently coordinating a, an effective offense? No. Absolutely not. And there, there are a variety of reasons for that that aren't necessarily just on him, but he's not fixing the problem either. And that is really the role of an offensive coordinator. It's not to um, – <clears throat> when you have players, you can do a lot of things. They don't have a whole lot of players. You need to find somebody that can get the most out of the players that you have in a lot of cases, and that's where where Canada's just – you know, he's, he's ineffective. He can't do that. He hasn't been doing that. Uh, there are a lot of things they need to change, and it's it's not a punitive thing. In other words, I'm not saying the Steelers need to to extract vengeance for firing Matt Canada. They just need to find somebody that can get more out of the guys that they have. So I, I, I hate getting into whether he was successful at college or not. It's a completely different thing, completely different. It, it's not apples to apples. Um, if anything, we're seeing a lot more success in college as far as play calling is concerned because there are there, there's a massive glut of talent difference which you don't have in the nfl so it, it's harder to to just you know parrot the things that they're doing in college in the nfl and we've seen many of them not be able to, to really produce much at the nfl level when they don't have a couple guys on their team who are just vastly better than everybody they go up against all the time it doesn't happen that way in the nfl but but but, but you know when you put matt canada in your employ your offense averages 14 a game and 11 with your first round draft pick, I, that would give me some pause in terms of the rebuild. Like, it, it, I, I want to see that. That's why when you brought up the point of Mike Sullivan, if, if they hire a Mike Sullivan next year, it's like, okay, I'm going to watch because I'm a Steeler fan. Hell, I'm addicted at this point, you know, so I'm going to watch, but I'm not going to be excited because it feels like, uh, the great Albert Einstein quote, uh, you know, is insanity, you know, you know that quote. Anyway, I don't want to mess it up, but everybody knows that quote. So that's number two. Number one was Trubisky. Number two, Canada. Number three. And why I, I, I don't necessarily know, and I'm not going to get into the discussion on, on, on the group chat, whether Mike Tomlin was hired to be a figurehead or not. I don't know. I'm not privy to any of that. Um, Here's number three. The drafting of a running back in the first round. And I'm not going to, I don't, you know, we knock Najee a, a bunch on this show. Now, you could say drafting Najee specifically is indicting of not 
having confidence in the guy to be the chef. Just but I, but I ask this really quick, because this is the path we're going down here. Why do we need to automatically assume it was the coach who made the decision to draft all the guys who sucked? Why is it always the know. coach who did that? We don't know. It doesn't make any but here, sense. <laughs> but here's the thing. But here's the thing. Because he's the name on the marquee, that's the way we're going to throw it, right? Like okay. he's that's fair. You know, he's the driver of the ship. He, yeah, he you know, and he he he'd be the one to tell you that too. <laughs> yeah, he's he 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 he's the name. Um, yeah, but but here's the thing. More so, not 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 just the Najee pick. To me, it's the it's the philosophy of, of, of drafting a running back in the first round. Here's why it's so damning to do that. And by the way, Neil, are you a coach? I'm not. Uh, are you a GM? Nope. Did you have reservations about drafting a running back in the first round? I I did not. <laughs> um, one I, just because I want to be clear my number one concern was drafting that particular running back in the first round overall I'm not against it on on the you know the steam of just this position is not worth a, four, a, a first round pick I'm, I'm not locked into that I did not feel Najee Harris was worth a first round pick, but I did say running back is a major position of need for the Steelers and they have a lot of them. If this is the best guy available at 22 overall who fills a major need, that's probably the guy they should take. I just didn't think that was necessarily Najee Harris. I, I felt there was at least one other running back I would have liked better, um, but I do understand what we are experiencing with the Steelers right now is exactly why there is the, the thought that you shouldn't take running backs in the first round. We're seeing it live in action because Najee Harris is nowhere close to what we hope that he would have been. If you got, if they drafted a, a three down running back who could catch 40 passes, who could run 250 plus times at 4.2 yards a carry. If he could put up 1700, 1800 yards uh, over 15 games instead of, you know, all 17, that's a great pick. Yeah, I don't care if he if he's only there for six years and they only spend $32 million over those six years. Fine. That's a great first round pick for 22 overall. This isn't a top five pick. Okay. 22 overall. A lot of busts between 22 and 50. There's not a whole lot of difference between those players. Um, except in this case, the running back I did want is significant has shown to be significantly better uh than Harris in a small sample size, but we'll get into that another time. Here's the thing though. Why it's so alarming. And I'm glad that you brought out Najee. I didn't want to kick Najee again. I wanted to let you kick Najee. Um, I've kicked the poor kid so much. Najee does have PTSD, uh, Felicia. He's juking air. Like, I mean, that's that's not PTSD. That's a guy who doesn't know where to go. That's the problem. It's not. People make it out to be like he's terrified. Like, this line is so bad. The guy. They're they're making contact with him and he's falling down. He's not getting shot. Okay. It's it's not that severe. <laughs> the point is, he gets the ball, he's dancing like that. Think of it like this. You hear me do this a lot. Okay. I'm gonna call myself out on this. When I say okay, when I repeat the word over and over again, when when I say um, things like that, those are verbal pauses. You get in the habit when you are speaking of using those almost as a crutch. 
You do that because your mind is still processing what you're trying to say next, and you're probably trying to speak too fast. It's no different than a running back who shuffles the way Najee does. He doesn't know where to go. He's still processing it. That's the, the, the best comparison anybody has made right now without knowing why it's such a good comparison is Najee Harris to Trent Richardson. And that's exactly why. They both had the same problem coming into the NFL. They don't know what an NFL hole looks like. They don't know what a crease looks like. They have to make hay out of nothing. And they don't know what that looks like because they don't see it often enough in college. It's not that they can't do it. It's not that they don't see it a, a second later. It's that it doesn't come fast enough because they're not used to it. Why do you think there's game breakers like Javante Williams before he got hurt? He didn't play behind a great line. There weren't first round picks on that offense. He had to make hay out of what was there. So he got used to seeing the hole immediately for what it was. Najee starts with the hole might be five yards wide. It might be three yards wide. It might be one. Okay. It's not that he doesn't recognize that there's one there. It's just that it's taking too long to get him from, I expect there to be a big hole that's easy to identify to there's never anything and whatever's there, I just need to take it. Case in point, watch Jalen Warren. What's the difference between those two running backs? Jalen Warren gets the ball and just goes. He doesn't care if there's a, a, a cement wall in front of him. He's running straight. He's going to go get the first thing that he sees. Najee doesn't know how to do that. And that's that's a significant problem, okay? It, it could be fatal. It, it's what happened to Trent Richardson. It's not that he wasn't fast enough, big enough, tough enough. It, it's not that he fell apart or anything like that. He just doesn't process what he needs to fast enough. Jalen Warren, too, let, let's keep this in mind. It's not as if Jalen Warren is a high-level prospect, okay? He just happens to be better than Najee Harris right now as a running back. And that should scare you, considering Jalen Warren's a rookie. He wasn't even drafted. How is he better than Harris? Harris has 500 carries. Stop there, Neil. And that's why number three is such a big deal for me, is because they have admitted that they got that really wrong because the back that's better was undrafted in Jalen Warren. And that makes me scared when this guy is the chef. I mean, it, it just shows you just how Can't bad good point. It, like it is. Like it, it's like indicting on their ability to roster construct when Jalen Warren, the undrafted guy, is clearly better than Najee. And last but not least, in terms of in Tomlin, do I trust building around defense? This whole concept of, you know, having the highest paid defense in the National Football League and building around defense and running the ball and trying to win ugly consistently week to week. Look, man, fix your right. offense. Fix your offense. Get your offense right. I mean, lean on offense. I mean, trying to win in this fashion, you're two and six. I mean, you're two and six. And yes, they made the playoffs last year. By the grace of God, they won some games that there's no way in the world they should have won. This philosophy of conservatism around how they want to play, look, man. 
I'm not just I'm not confident that Tomlin moving forward can build the type of offensive football team that's going to compete year in and year out. I, I I'm just he's a good coach. He's had a ton of success. He's never had a losing season. I know all of that, but I'm starting to get to the point where I did with Bill Cower and things changed. I never thought Bill Cower was going to win a Super Bowl and he won a Super Bowl. I, 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 all of this is alarming to me. And I, I just don't know if Tomlin is the chef for it. I, I, I don't know if the staff is the staff to get Kenny Pickett to a ceiling. I, I just have some reservations and some questions as we stand here now. I think what what the real question that you're getting to, I think generally what you're saying is, is there too much complacency with the coach? Are there enough wrinkles and, and variations uh, that the team is putting in to stay sharp on the edge, which is absolutely something Tomlin would say. I feel for the most part, he has tried to do that. I'm going to add to this, though, and this is something that nobody wants to acknowledge because they all think that Steelers players are 20% better than everybody else because they're on the Steelers. This is not a good football team, okay? I said last year, constantly, this is the worst Steelers team we have seen in the last 20 years. Talent-wise, they're bad. And what we're seeing now really is not much different than last year. It's just somehow last year... They had this this kryptonite about them that got other teams to just do stupid things and play terribly to the point where they could upset them. Look at the Cincinnati game this year. Absolutely ridiculous that Pittsburgh won that game. It's ridiculous. They're not better than the Bengals are. They didn't outplay the Bengals that day. The Bengals lost their long snapper, and they missed two kicks. One in overtime. It's like a chip shot that should have won them the game. Pittsburgh won a lot of games they should not have. And this, this uh, if you want to call it a streak that they're on, has been going on for quite some time. It's not a coincidence that their quarterback, really, it, probably his functional career ended at Dallas in 2020 during the pandemic. He never came back after that. He was never good after that. And they have not been able to replace him. If we subtract Mitch Trubisky and put in any reasonably acquired quarterback on the market, do we have much of a difference? Maybe some, but I don't think a whole lot. I also think the Steelers drafted a quarterback at 20 after signing Mitch Trubisky for a reason. It's not as if they thought Mitch Trubisky was the answer to anything. This is just part of sexy tanking. They have to get through this because their talent depleted. You make the move for William Jackson because you need to add talent. You lose Claypool, who you weren't going to have long-term, to get a top 40 pick because you need talent. It, we have to add to that. So getting to your question overall, Lance, which I think is the efficacy of Mike Tomlin within their front office, is this the right combination of leadership to, to guide things? I don't think Tomlin is failing this year. I think they have a bad team, and I don't think anybody could have saved it. I, I said this on the show after the game you couldn't resurrect Bill Walsh and have him come back and run this offense to much success, probably better than Matt Canada, but 
okay, you know, look, whatever you want me to do, if Matt Kennedy is retained for next season, I will do it publicly and on camera. All right. That's how confident I am. There is no way Matt Canada is coming back. It's clear and obvious that that isn't working. Not good. Do we indict the man who has led this team to a high level of success, comparatively speaking, relative to his peers, for 15 years over Matt Canada? Because I'll be honest with you. You guys made the same complaints about Randy Fickner. You made the same complaints about Todd Haley. You made the same complaints about Bruce Arians. You're never going to like the coordinator, all right? Why? Because they don't win a Super Bowl every year. I don't blame you. I'm just saying, let's not act like this is some kind of new revolution. This happens every single year. Canada, a little bit different. He's really bad. <laughs> I Honestly, I think they should get rid of him. I, I would appreciate them uh, terminating Canada now just because, like, look, this isn't working. He's Indeed, not going to be around Canada. next season anyway. What's the point? You know, let, let's get on with getting on. I would prefer, considering how uh, uh, stuck in the mold the Steelers are, the last three uh, quarterbacks coaches turned into their offensive coordinator. You know you're going to do that, okay? You know you're going to look at Sean Sullivan, and he's going to be – or Sean did it again. God damn it. <clears throat> Mike Sullivan, you know you're going to give him a look. Get rid of Canada. Put Sullivan in charge set reasonable expectations, and let's see what happens with that combination. It's not going to be fixed, not a playoff team. I don't imagine that they're going to put up 30 points a game every week. See what it is, because then you know at least going into the offseason, you have another chance to evaluate whether or not you need another offensive coordinator to lead this team to the future. That's that's my useless two cents. Take that for what it is. And, and, and I think Evan Savage gave us – that that let me just say this. I, Evan. I agree with this. Let me just say this, Evan. If my last name was Savage, That's man, awesome. every day would be a good day. <laughs> I, I'm never gonna have a bad day. I'm gonna never go gonna tell have... people I'm Evan Blanking Savage. I'm a savage. Take that. Like he could literally say I'm a savage and not be lying. Yeah. He's how, talking how about his brothers, sisters, be? cousins. You know, he's a savage. Yeah. I'm a savage. He's a part of the savage family yes I'm, I'm a savage i mean i that's just that's just so great man <laughs> evan hey man never have a bad day and i think evan i'm a savage is absolutely correct and and, and that's what I, that's why i'm asking the question like i'm conflicted about it i'm just putting it out there i'm not i'm not there yet because of what evan just said you have to give Tomlin and Omar a chance to build this team. You don't fire an all-time great coach in the middle of a rebuild. Let Omar give him the players and see what happens. And, and I think that is fair. I think the 15 years earned him an opportunity to fail. And the reality of it is most coaches fail. I mean, look at Cleveland. I mean, they got a pretty good coach now in Stefanski. They played a great game Monday night beating uh, the bungles, but most coaches fail. That's the context of it. You don't go in it with that thought, but I think Evan is right. You got to give Tomlin and Omar time to get, you know, to, to be in the kitchen for either Omar to be the sous chef, Tomlin to be the chef, 
Omar's the chef, Tomlin's the sous chef, the combination. Yo, I need you to prep those carrots. You know, you got to <laughs> give them an opportunity to cook the meal together. I mean, you got they've got to figure it out. There's there's just simply no way they didn't know this was coming. We talked about this two years ago. Yes. When we started this show, we talked about what was coming. This is not surprising. What was surprising was nine, six, and one last or nine, seven, and one last year. The team that didn't lose 10 games last season. That's a surprise. Okay. What we're seeing now is not a surprise. All right. And just for, for the record here, as far as the, they beat weak teams. They just didn't beat championship teams like the Patriots. You know what? Nobody beat championship teams like the Patriots. That's why they were the championship champions. That's also why what they did was historic and without precedent. Not easy to beat the Patriots. Let's not set that as, as the reasonable expectation here. Bill Belichick is so far above and beyond history. It's not even fair. Okay. Could they have done more? Yeah. But you all look at it like it, it's, it's junk what they did do because the Patriots won everything. Yeah. Patriots probably cheated. They were accused of that a bunch of times. There's a reason there isn't precedent to what they've done. The long string of success that they had, they're doing a lot of things. I'm sure that we don't know about to, to, you know, work things into their favor. Maybe they're smarter than everybody else. You know, maybe that's where the Steelers failed. But in comparison to reasonable peers, Mike Tomlin is on top of just about all of them. You, you can't dispute that. You didn't get the, the titles that you feel you deserve as a fan for whatever reason. They weren't able to do that. I get it. it it's, it's obvious. That does not mean that they were a bad team. It does not mean that they failed expectations. It just usually means that the expectations were not in line with reality. And I, I honestly, maybe maybe the the 2016 team if bell is healthy at the end of the year that might have been a championship team beyond that the the 2017 team highly overrated not nearly as good as, as what their record indicated and that's why they fell apart in 2018 haven't been good since not tangibly anyway the 2014 team again if bell doesn't get hurt i think they they've got a shot uh they would have beat that ravens team i know that if bell played um they put together some very good teams that it, it didn't pan out. And sometimes it just works that way. You you get the wrong injuries at the wrong times. That doesn't help. Overall, it doesn't mean that it, it's, it, and it's not an indictment on leadership because a guy got hurt and they, they didn't have, you know, an all pro running back waiting in the wings. Le'Veon Bell was one of the five best offensive players in the game for a stretch of time. You're not, not giving him the ball because he might get hurt. If he gets hurt, yeah, that sucks. You do what you can. D'Angelo Williams, you do what you can with, with guys that they had uh, trying to replace that. When the rubber meets the road, you can't replace Le'Veon Bell. So it is Tomlin's fault getting the best guy on the field the ball? But that's not exactly a, a you know a, a real reasonable indictment of a guy's skill. That said, next year to me is more the, the day of reckoning. It, it's Let's see what happens again this offseason. When they've still got some cap space available, we said Lance Sexy Tanking was having high draft picks. They're going to get that now. They grossly overachieved last year. Didn't really help us out with that. Now they're going to have that, though. What are they going to do with that? How are those players developing? That is the point that you need to look at. It's not with the dumpster fire of, of personnel that they have right now. They have junk on the field. It's just not good. It really just isn't. Jalopies. But with that... We are going to conclude the program. I want to thank everybody for the active group chat. The group chat was on fire. If you're in a group chat and you're not 
a part of the experience. Make sure you like and subscribe to the show. I thought this was a fantastic show. Neil, you did a great job again. And thank you again for the breaking news episodes. Make sure you guys check out those breaking news episodes on Chase Claypool and WJ the third, William Jackson the third. Uh, fantastic job, Neil, you and Doug as well on that show. So fantastic thank you for that. job today to you, Lance. You're thank the heart you, sir. and soul. Thank I you, just sir. follow you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. But with that, we're going to conclude the program. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and you know the deal. Subscribe. Go steal. I don't. I never say it right. <laughs> <laughs> what do I say? Follow. <laughs>